G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. No matter how intently you really desire a happy marriage, unless you're on the right road to lead to that preferred destination, it's not going to happen. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff's message is called Filling the Void. As he flees the wrath of his brother Esau and escapes the curse of his father Isaac, Jacob finds himself at Laban's house falling head over heels for Rachel. So here's a guy that didn't get from his mommy and his daddy what he needed. Things have been going south from almost the time he was born. And yet here we go, he's trying to take control and he's making one mistake after the next and he finds himself in despair. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Great to see you. If you have your Bibles with you, turn over to Genesis chapter 29. Genesis 29, verse 15. We'll start there just in a moment. We're in this series we're calling Rerouting. Now, folks, this has been the definitive statement by which we've been interpreting all these Hebrew narratives out of the book of Genesis. And I I wish if there was some way that I could just crawl inside your head and speak to your mind and say, this is crucial, this is important, that you would write this down somewhere, that you put on your refrigerator door in the uh, front uh, pocket of your Bible, wherever, uh, maybe in your bedroom door, so first thing you see in the morning, last thing you see at night, this governs just about every aspect of your life and how your life's gonna turn out. And here's what we've said, that direction, not intention, determines destination. No matter how intently you really desire a happy marriage, unless you're on the right road to lead to that preferred destination, it's not going to happen. No matter how much you hope for it and even pray for it, just because you want desperately your children to grow up to be men and women of integrity and character doesn't mean they're going to be if you're not on the right road to lead you to the preferred destination. Same thing is true in meaning and hope in life. If that's what you're after, you want hope, you want meaning, then you, you got to be on the right road. you got to make decisions to put you on the right path that leads to your preferred destination. That is an unbreakable, unbreakable statement that direction, not intention, determines destination. Now, we've been looking at the life of Jacob, and the reason we've been looking at his life is his life's like our life. Uh, he's like a microcosm of humanity. And this guy keeps making one bad decision after another bad decision, and his life did not turn out the way he thought it would. Now, let me give you a newsflash. Nobody's life ever turns out the way they hoped it would. So welcome to humanity. It is the way of the world. Ever since sin entered, we've got all kinds of issues and problems and difficulties and obstacles we've got to climb. The question is, when your life doesn't turn out the way that you hoped it would, what road are you going to travel? And Jacob has decided that he's going to take all this upon himself and he, he commits debacle after debacle. Now he's got a father who died with a broken heart because his younger son tried to steal the firstborn blessing from his older brother Esau. Esau's trying to kill him. His mother, who's really the only woman that's loved him the way he seeks to be loved, 
He'll never see her again because he has to run away for fear of his life from his older brother Esau. So here's a guy that didn't get from his mommy and his daddy what he needed. His life did not turn out the way he hoped it would turn out. Things have been going south from almost the time he was born. And yet here we go. He's trying to take control and he's making one mistake after the next. And he finds himself away from his family, away from his mom, away from his brother in the wilderness, kind of just desolate in despair. Now, here's what happens in the text. And this beautiful narrative, so stay with me here. According to Genesis chapter 29, he runs away to Rebekah, his mother's brother. In other words, his uncle, Uncle Laban. And when he gets there, he tells him the whole story I just told you, including last week. Now, Laban puts him to work in the fields with the sheep and the herds. And it's a very difficult job with long, long hours. And one day Laban comes to Jacob after he's been there for a couple of weeks probably. And he says, Laban, look, just because we're related or rather Jacob, just because we're related doesn't mean you should work for nothing. Let's you and I settle on a wage. Now that's where we pick up the story. And here's what happens. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, just in those few verses, do you know what is illuminated from the get-go? This is how Jacob is trying to deal with his misery, his mess-ups and his screw-ups. This is how he's trying to deal with it. And the definitive line in the narrative right from the get-go is verse 18 when he says to Laban, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Wow. We talked last week about a 10 cow girl. Here's a seven year girl. He's going to work seven years. Now, what's interesting about that, the going rate uh, for a suitor uh, to gain a bride was somewhere around 40 shekels in the time of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 40 shekels. What, what uh, Jacob is doing is going to earn him somewhere between 1.3, 1.5 shekels per month. So if you figure that out, if you're a good mathematician, you'll know that he's not offering double, triple. He's almost offering quadruple the going rate for a bride. And he comes to Laban and he says, I'll work seven years. He's out of his mind. I mean, is any woman really worth seven years of hard labor? <laughs> Evidently in the Bible, she is. Now, listen, I don't make these stories up. I told you, you should read your Bible. There's some cool stories in here. And so Jacob makes this offer. He doesn't negotiate. He doesn't haggle. Laban knows that he's out of his mind. And one of the reasons that he's probably willing to offer so much money for Rachel is because of verse 17. We're told that Leah's eyes were weak. Now I'll explain that momentarily, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. These are two interesting Hebrew words. The first one translated form is the word for curves. Isn't that interesting? The writer's telling us that she has all the right curves in all the right places. And not only does she have a great body, I'm telling you, I didn't make this up. I'm just reading from the Bible. Not only does she have a great body, she has great uh, uh, physical appearance as far as she's elegant in the face. In other words, she's pleasant to look at. She's got a great body and she's pretty. She's beautiful. She's elegant. Maybe that's part of the reason he sees her and says, I'll work seven years for Rachel. Now, he's so stricken. He's so over the moon about Rachel. I want to read verse 11 earlier in chapter 29. The Bible says, then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted his voice and wept. Ladies. When is the last time a man kissed you and immediately lifted his voice, began to sing a song, and then just wept right in front of you? <laughs> I mean, now, woo, that, that's amazing. How, how over the moon is he? Look at verse 20 of chapter 29. Jacob served seven years for Rachel, 
And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. But a few days. Now, let me just say something quickly here because I think we might misunderstand. Before you ladies say, man, that is the man that I want right there. A man who would work seven years and it would appear just a few days because of the prize, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. That's not the kind of love Jacob has for Rachel. Uh, He's not talking about long walks on the beach and uh, sitting out on the veranda, sipping cups of tea and talking about the emotional nature of the relationship. (laughs) That's not what he's after. How do you know that, Pastor Jeff? Because of verse 21, the Bible says, when the time had ended, Jacob has the nerve to come to Laban and say, give me your daughter, Rachel, that I may sleep with her, that I might lie with her. It's humorous to see how Hebrew scholars deal with this because it is what it is. It's brash, it's crass, it's barbaric, but that's what Jacob says. Imagine me going to Robin, that's my wife, by the way, her parents, after we've dated for three years and I say to her father, hey, I've been dating your daughter for three years, give her to me so I can sleep with her. That's barbaric, isn't it? Not only in today's culture, back there as well. That's just not something you do. Now, to understand this, I go back to Robert Alter, this big, thick book I've been reading on Genesis narratives I've told you about, and he says this is quite simple, really. It's not really that difficult. That right here in this passage, here is a man who is spiritually, emotionally, and sexually overwhelmed with Rachel. He'll do anything to get her. And Robert Arter says, here's why. Because this is the manner in which he's dealing with his sense of insignificance, his sense of unworthiness, the reality that he has screwed up, messed up his life. But here's what he's thinking. He arrives in the wilderness at Uncle Laban's house. He sees Rachel and it dawns on him, okay, I'm out here in the wilderness. I've broken my father's heart. I've broken my mother's heart. My older brother Esau wants to kill me. But if I can just get that girl, if I can just sleep with Rachel and make her mine, then my whole life will be fine. All these feelings that I have of depression And despondency will just go away. And the void that I have in my heart, because my life's not turned out the way I thought it would, it'll be settled. I'll be fine if I can just get Rachel. I'll have significance and hope, and my life will be worth something if I can just have Rachel, if I can just sleep with Laban's daughter. Now, can I I move into sarcasm just a moment? I'm warning you ahead of time. This is sarcasm. Don't you find it exhilarating and almost freeing to know that we don't live in such an archaic uh, Old Testament culture where a man would think that his life would be complete if he has sex with a woman. (laughs) Right? This is Today with Jeff Vines. The message is called Filling the Void. Jacob commits to working for seven years in order to marry Rachel. Pastor Jeff explains Jacob is infatuated with Rachel, thinking all his problems will be solved if he can just secure her love. Now, here's what's interesting. Ernest Becker, who wrote a Pulitzer's Prize winning book called The Denial of Death, makes an interesting comment. He says, now that God is dead in America, he's not really, but that's the way we look at it. And this guy's an atheist, a secular atheist. He says, now that we've lost our meaning in our intimacy with God, now that God is dead, we're not willing to admit of how much Humanity's trying to find that significance, find that meaning, find that intimacy, find a way to fill in the void by hooking up with members of the opposite sex. 
He calls this the romantic solution. Let me define it for you. He says the romantic solution is the belief that if we can find that one true love, all our feelings of insignificance, purposelessness, and meaninglessness will dissipate. If I can just get the girl, if I can just get the guy, then my life will be complete. And this void that I feel will be filled. And I'll forget all about that. I didn't have a good relationship with my mom or my dad, and I didn't hear the words of affirmation I needed to hear from my parents. And I'll forget all about the abuse I got from my older siblings. I'll forget all about this feeling of nobodiness, this sense of failure, favoritism. It'll all be gone if I can just get the girl, if I can just get the guy, if I can get one true love, I can find my savior. And he talks about in our culture what he describes as apocalyptic hookups. Apocalyptic hookups. He says, we're living in a time now, what I just described, he said, that happens in your 20s, but now today in your 30s, 40s, and 50s, it's happening. Apocalyptic hookups where a man will want to have sex with a younger woman, a more beautiful woman than his wife, not because he's looking for an affair necessarily, not because he's looking for a relationship or love, just so that he can feel like he's conquered something, that he's worth something, that he has meaning and significance, and that he matters. And that young women want to have sex with older, more powerful, financially wealthy men just so they can get this feeling of significance and worth and meaning into their lives. They're not looking for love. They're just looking for apocalyptic hookups to make themselves feel better about themselves. Now, you say, Pastor Jeff, you've mentioned that word sex a lot in today's message. And I know I don't do that very often, but I want to paint the narrative as the writer paints it. Because Jacob is employing the romantic solution to his life He thinks that Rachel will be his savior. And if he can just get Rachel, his life will be perfect. Now, here's what's interesting about the narrative. Jacob is a conniving, deceiving, but he's met his match in Laban. As bad as he is, Laban's even worse. As soon as Jacob shows his hand without negotiating and says, I'll work for Rachel seven years, Laban thinks to himself, I've got this guy. Why? Because he has an ugly daughter he's got to unload. I'm sorry, it's the narrative. I didn't write the story. I'm just telling you the story. So he says, this is a perfect opportunity. I've got a beautiful daughter and an ugly daughter, and I'm going to unload my ugly daughter onto Jacob for seven years' work. Man, I'd never get that of anybody with any sanity. Now, here's what happens. You'll notice in verse 9 that when Laban and Jacob have the conversation, Laban actually never agrees to the arrangement. Here's what he says. It's salesman terminology. He says, well, it is better that I give her, that is Rachel, to you than to give her to another man. That's an oblique positive statement that makes no covenant or commitment. He just says in a profound general way, well, it would be better if I gave her to you. He doesn't say I'm going to give her to you. It would be better to give her to you than somebody else. But he knew that Jacob would hear what Jacob wanted to hear because he's so desperate. So at the end of the seven years, he comes to Laban and he says, okay, time is up. Give me my wife, Rachel, that I might lie with her. Now, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to know what happens next in this narrative. The wedding day comes. Now, the bride is going to be veiled during the entire experience, okay? You're not going to see the bride. Chances are high that Leah and Rachel at least were the same height, built similarly. And so all day during the wedding festivities, the, uh, uh, the bride whom Jacob thinks is Rachel, is covered and veiled. So that's a long day. And they go from the village to where they're going to have the ceremony. That's a long journey. She's still veiled. They're going to have a huge feast, and Laban and Jacob are going to drink a lot of wine together. And then it's going to go off into the evening, and then they're going to drink some more and eat some more. Big celebration. The entire time, the bride is going to be veiled until the time comes at night 
when Laban and Jacob have had way too much to drink, now his bride is escorted into Jacob's tent. It's dark outside. This is not the day of electricity. There are no lights to turn on. And the bride enters the tent. Jacob is drunk. He lies with his wife, who he thinks is Rachel. And then in the morning when the sun comes up, he discovers that all along it was Leah. Now here's what's humorous about that. As soon as that happens, in the night, of course, Jacob cries out, oh, Rachel. In the morning, he finds out it's not Rachel, it's Leah. He immediately runs to Laban and he says, how could you do this to me? Dude, we had an agreement. I was going to work seven years. You knew I wanted Rachel, not Leah. And now you've given me Leah. How could you be so deceptive? Now, I want you to notice how it is that Laban responds. And I want to give you the little translation out of the Hebrew. It would read like this. Well, Jacob, around here, it's not the custom to put the younger before the older. Ouch. <laughs> now, remember when Jacob arrived at Laban's house, he had told him the story of what Jacob had done in trying to go and steal the firstborn blessing from his older brother Esau. So Laban knows the story and he says, he says to Jacob and Jacob's moment of anger and frustration, well, I don't know where you're from, pal, but around here, we don't give our younger daughters in marriage before the older. Now you notice in the passage, Laban doesn't talk back. He doesn't complain. Why? For one reason, Laban used the exact same word that Isaac used when he said, Jacob, why did you deceive me? You know what Jacob understands? That Laban has done to him exactly what Jacob did to his father. Now imagine that Jacob wakes up the next morning and he finds Leah and he says, wait a minute, I cried out Rachel's name in the dark and you answered, why did you do that? And then Leah says to him, well, your father Isaac cried out Esau in the dark and you answered. Why did you do that to him? And the reason the biblical narrator wants us to understand Jacob and what he's doing with Rachel and Leah and what she's doing with Jacob is so that we can understand something about humanity and our temptation and what roads to take when life doesn't turn out the way we hoped it would. Now go back to verse 17 in order that we can kind of bring this to a climax and then let the truth just come out everywhere. Here we go. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and very beautiful. What does it mean that Leah was weak in the eyes? Does it mean that Rachel could see a long, long way away, but Leah could only see right in front of her? No. Now, I wish I knew the answer definitively, but I can give you three options that commentators give us. Number one, some say that she was cross-eyed. She had weak eyes in the sense that she didn't have the strength in her eyes to keep them straight. I think that's weak. No pun intended, but I, I think that's weak. Second option is that she was plain. Some scholars say it's a way of saying if you, Leah's name actually means uh, hidden beauty. So there was obviously nothing on the outside. And so a way to say that she has a hidden beauty or that she's not physically attractive on the outside or she's plain is that her eyes are weak. In other words, there's nothing compelling about her. That's week two. I think the third one's the more appropriate one. And I found it interesting that it's a way of saying something good about a person if they have no physical or little to no physical attraction. It's almost like us today saying, Leah is sweet. Weak eyes means humble, okay? Uh, soft eyes. She's humble. 
Now, guys, you know exactly. Some of you smiled when I said that because you got it immediately. It's like when your friend says, hey, man, I got, I, let's go on a double date. I want you to go on a blind date. I've got a girl for you. And you say to your friend, is she pretty? And he says, she's sweet. You know exactly what that means. <laughs> no translation needed. Now, the, the, the narrator of the book of Genesis, especially in 29, wants to put us in Leah's shoes. What do you think it would be like to be the, the, the older sister of a, of, a, of a woman who is beautiful in form and appearance, and you're considered to be the ugly duckling, so much so that your father's waiting for an opportunity to unload you. And the reason the narrator tells us so much about this is because Leah is no different than Jacob. Jacob thinks Rachel can save him and his life will have meaning and significance, but Leah thinks the same thing about Jacob. If she can just get Jacob and win his love, then her life will matter because nobody loves her. She feels insignificant. She feels unworthy. So if she can just get Jacob. Now, here's what happens, and I wish we had time to go verse by verse, but here's what Leah does. Leah starts having babies because she thinks, if I have babies, he'll stay with me and love me. Isn't it great to know that that never happens in our society today. You think we're so different. She starts having children and she gives them names in hopes that she will get her husband's attention. So first she has Reuben, which means to see. Maybe now my husband will see me. Maybe now I'll be visible and he won't look right through me. That doesn't work, so she has Simeon, which means to hear. Well, he looks right through me. He doesn't see me. Maybe he'll hear me. Maybe he'll listen to my cry for love. That doesn't work, so she has Levi, which means to attach. Maybe my husband will give himself to me in the way that he has promised. Maybe he'll give himself to me completely. Now, the point that the narrator is trying to show us is that she's handling the emptiness and the hole in her heart, in her life, by trying to do the same thing that Jacob is doing with Rachel. She's looking for a savior. That's the end of today with Jeff Vines. Please join us next time when we'll hear the rest of Pastor Jeff's message about filling the void. Leah is hoping, in fact, she's praying that Jacob will be her savior. Savior is a big deal. And so two people with all kinds of issues come together hoping the other will save them. And you wonder why marriages struggle. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.